Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Well, hi, guys. It's episode 269. Nice. Of the Red Sox podcast you've come to know and love. Red Sox beat from CLNS. This is Josh Lewin. And look, we know it's not going to end well here in 2020. Nothing in 2020 is going to end well. Everything's horrible. We know that. We don't need a podcast for that. But uh, if, if you really want to know, if you must ask, the current odds of winning the division not like the league or anything or a world series tampa bay's at 55.2 percent yankees are at 40.1 down a tick obviously because they're so hurt the blue jays 3.6 percent orioles 1.1 percent red Sox are a blue tarski they are a 0.0 and at this recording which is early in the week they are the first team in the majors to the 20 loss mark normally that's not a big deal but they're only 60 games scheduled this season there's your requisite sigh for the broadcast here's what we're doing we're going to try to get into some of what's going well we always try to find some ray of sunshine somehow alex spear of the boston globe will join us for a good 20 maybe even 25 minutes of just kind of walking through the park on what's what right now we're going to get you some of the guys that i was hoping we would see if there was a real september 1st call up if this was a real season who would the guys be that even if it was a down year, you'd be so excited to come up and, and see. Just, you know, they're in the organization for forever. What do they look like when they're on the mound? We'll get to that. We'll get to the workman Hembry trade that brought in Nick Pavetta. Uh, we'll talk about Mookie Betts, of all people, on this particular podcast as well. Sports are coming back, and uh, your chance to bet on sports with the exclusive wagering partner we have, betonline.ag. Want to make sure you know, with Major League Baseball obviously rolling here, they've got the odds, they got the futures, they got the props. And betonline.ag has this cool thing right now with Eddie George, Robert Horry, Harold Reynolds. They're talking about playing without the fans. They call it the pandemic. Go to betonline.ag, check out all the odds, the up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up, take advantage of the welcome back to sports bonuses they've put out there for you. Bet online, your online wagering experts. So, you guys want to hear any more stats that just kind of bring into focus how horribly it's going? I don't think you really need that, do you? I think you're probably happier just getting to a conversation with Alex Spear. Uh, Again, none of the the great audio component that you normally are used to, the, you know, sounds like they're right in the studio kind of thing. That's just not a deal in 2020. So, apologizing in advance for what is a, a rocky uh, audio mix here but we got what we got i think you'll enjoy though when we get to our spring training recorded interviews with a couple of these prospects that i'm talking about 
it'll sound like I'm actually at the ballpark for the first time in forever. Because, again, full disclosure, that was way back in spring training when you could actually walk up to somebody, shake their hand, and, you know, whatever else you wanted to talk about, you could could be a lot closer than six feet. And if you've ever been at the uh, the ballpark and seen it on a tour or something like that or just seen a post-game press conference, if you're in the clubhouse at Fenway, I mean, you're not six inches from people. Forget about six feet. But this will be kind of a, a throwback to when, way back when we were able to uh, to experience that kind of thing. So stay tuned for a couple of chats back-to-back with Red Sox prospects. The Alex Spear coming up right away, the uh, interview that is. One more thing to tell you about before we roll, and I swear it's not bad stats about Devers. It's not about will Bogarts be traded. Again, we're trying to get you, uh, oh, shall we say, up right now. And it's a hell of a segue because this is the Roman read right now. Erectile dysfunction is not easy. Normally we brush it off or blame ourselves. We say, I lost my mojo or whatever. With Roman, it is much easier to talk about it with a healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, simple, safe, totally discreet. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED. Very straightforward. Just go to GetRoman.com slash socks. Complete your online visit. It, it is true. Erectile dysfunction used to be a very tough-to-tackle subject, but Roman has showed up, and now it is much, much easier. Go to GetRoman.com slash socks, and if approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash socks. GetRoman.com slash socks. All right, Alex Spear is standing by. I'm, I'm trying to think of what I can tell you that's not like Michael Chavis has struck out a million times. Uh, it, it's actually, as I record this, only... Nine times in his last 14 at bat. So I guess that's not everything. You guys are totally up to speed on the fact that if Erod was pitching, if Chris Sale was healthy, maybe things would be a little different. But there's just no depth, as you know. The the whole winning attitude is gone. And now a lot of the bullpen is about to leave as well. With Brandon Workman and uh, Heath Hembry already in Philly, maybe there's more to come. Let's get to Alex Spear on that. I, I'm rambling at this point. And as you'll hear when I get going with Alex, there is certainly more rambling to come. But that's what we do here on Red Sox Beat. So the great Alex Spear indeed joins us, and if it sounds like uh, there's a bad connection here, and it's the age of Zoom, and we never can get in front of each other and do a real podcast anymore, i got to out myself. I'm the one on the terrible line. Alex is on a landline. He's been kind enough to do that. Uh, my wife is driving. I'm sitting in the passenger seat. First things first, Alex, i got to tell you, your, your call was so perfectly timed. I mentioned to Stacy you're going to be calling in. And she got this look of horror on her face, not because of who you are, but because we're listening to Sirius XM and Phil Collins is on, and the drum solo was just about to come on. <laughs> you, you know, you, you know what oh, I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, the phone rang, and literally it was. <laughs> so like everybody here in this car is really happy now. So thank you for your impeccable timing, number one. Uh, that's that's my story. I got to hear about why this delay in your calling in to me something about a wedding ring gone missing what 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 happened yes yes the uh the terror i was i was seized with terror uh as uh as all of a sudden i noted that my uh, my wedding ring uh was gone and uh this was shortly after having uh having been out swimming today so i was concerned that it might be at the bottom of uh at the, at the bottom of a body of water somewhere uh but i was relieved to find out 
that it was merely a very 2020, uh, it was merely a, a, a 2020 um, caper of sorts, uh, where I had recently folded up a tent that my kids have been hanging out in in our backyard because no uh-huh. one has anywhere to go, and uh, and the uh, the ring had uh, the ring had slid off into the tent that had been folded up, and so uh, the uh, the great crisis has been averted, um, and I I have learned better than to ever think I'll leave my house again. Wedding ring caper 2020. You described it well. I'm just so glad you found the thing. I, and I promise we'll get to baseball here in a second. But we, we right around this time last year, I remember me telling you that Stacey and I were going to Greece uh, during the All-Star break. Or actually, I guess it was coming out of that trip to London that the Red Sox made. And the very first thing I did when we jumped in the swimming pool when where we got to the hotel was watch my wedding ring go right to the bottom of a 10-foot <laughs> pool. So, right, I, I'm with you. I I, <laughs> I really am. Um, so, hey, one more uh, aside, because you mentioned just the, the need to kind of force yourself to travel out of your house. I mean, right now you'd be shuffling off to Buffalo, literally. I mean, if there was a real need for you to travel, because that's where the Red Sox are going to be playing by the time this podcast airs. But uh, it's funny, Stacey and I just went off to uh, Ojai, California for just a couple days just to do the exact same thing you're doing, just get out of the house, get to the backyard. And because I know you're such a baseball book guy, and you had to have been a ball four guy. Oh, yeah. The only thing, right, that I ever knew about Ojai, California, is that's where Steve Hubley was from. Uh, wow. You know, the, the, the one good friend that Jim Bouton ended up having on the Seattle pilot. So <laughs> uh, this is you know, supposed to be a romantic getaway, and the whole time I'm thinking, oh, Steve Hubley's from here. No. Well, I I... Uh, I, I... I'm glad you recovered your wedding ring. I just, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm, your, your wife deserves you being respectful of that, uh, of that particular symbol because clearly she's put up with a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now we've, now we've both mentioned our wives and our wedding rings and our travels or lack thereof on what's supposed to be a baseball podcast. Let's get into some Red Sox stuff and just kind of where it's all gone horribly, horribly wrong. I mean, I don't know if there's one right answer here. I think there are many tributaries off this river that we can kind of go ahead and row down. But uh, let's start with with a couple of the things that are going okay. As, as we know, this team has reached 20 losses first. I don't know if there's a prize for that, but they, they got this first. <laughs> uh, I, I love Verdugo, and I think in, in a normal season, fans would be out there buying their 99 jerseys and you know, figuring out how to get their facial hair to somewhat resemble his, all that stuff. I mean, this could have been a really fun story this summer, right? Yeah, I think that there would have been a uh, there would have been a, a pretty natural uh, responsiveness. The crowds in L.A. loved Verdugo. Um, he was a really popular member of the team there last year. Uh, as as a rookie, he was very very good, um, and he carried a lot of the same energy in, in at Dodger Stadium, which is packed every night. Um, and uh, you know, he was, he was an event, he, you know, his, his at-bats were an event. Um, and I, I do feel like there would have been, uh, there would have been a natural, um, a natural fit of his energy on the field with the, uh, with the crowd at Fenway that's very receptive to that kind of energy from its players. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's all a strange thing that's unfolding where he is generating this energy, even though, uh, even in an empty environment. And he's talked about it. He's talked about the strangeness of it and how it's particularly in the late innings where you'd kind of feel the park 
uh, whenever whenever the bullpen door opens, when there's kind of a late innings rally or something, he feels the absence of that. But obviously, he's finding ways to uh, to generate a lot of uh, an awful lot of on field energy, even in the absence of a crowd. So let me ask you about the other V here. They're the killer Vs of Vasquez mm-hmm. and Verdugo. And I don't know if Vasquez is even going to still be a Red Sox by the time this podcast airs. You know, since I'm in Southern California, it sure seems to me that the one thing the Padres, who are now the bell of the ball, the one thing that they could really use right now as a catcher, are the Red Sox going to dangle Vasquez just to, to get something back, or would it have to be the ultimate right deal? How do you see that going? And let me also, while I'm asking about trading popular players, let, let me also just throw in J.D. Martinez right now. What's your guess for, for Vasquez and Martinez here? Um, Martinez, I think, is to me, he's just really hard to do. Uh, he's really hard to trade um, because there are so many variables with uh, with regards to his contractual future. Um, the fact is that you don't know whether or not you're trading a rental or whether or not you're trading a guy who has a long term commitment. Uh, and if you're a team that's acquiring him, you don't know whether or not you are trading for a rental or trading a guy who has, you know, who has two years plus this uh, plus this September. Slash October in terms of uh, in terms of team control. So I don't know. To me, it almost requires some resolution in the court, in the off season to figure out exactly what where he'll fit. Um, and I'd also note that there have been some evaluators who have been. JD Martinez has talked on a few different occasions about uh, about his frustrations with the absence of video. His numbers are down this year, even though he's had a couple of good games of late. But there are some evaluators who wonder whether or not they would be getting, you know, peak J.D. Martinez or whether or not they would be uh, getting a uh, an approximation thereof um, who was kind of reduced by virtue of his inability to access video in-game and kind of follow the routines that have made him so good. Um, so to me, I think that Martinez's uh, fate is tricky. Vasquez, I think that, you know, the Red Sox would certainly entertain offers on him uh, moving forward. He does have uh, – he, he's not just a rental. He's under team control uh, for, what, uh, another year beyond this one uh, plus uh, plus an option, I believe. So uh, in in that sense, you can see him potentially having having value, although his performance this year has been very uneven, I think, both offensively and, frankly, behind the plate, um, where I think that there's been – uh, there, there have been instances where, you know, uh, we're on the technical side. You know, on the technical side, there have been struggles. On the game calling side, it's you know he's working with a difficult pitching staff. But this hasn't exactly been a banner year for anyone associated uh, with the run prevention side of the Red Sox. So I'm not sure that the Red Sox are going to find that there's um, that there's a huge market for them. And with regards to the Padres. I don't know. I, to me, I think that they have a, a great urgency uh, that surrounds their bullpen with Kirby Yates out uh, for the rest of the year. Um, I, I think that, you know, I, my guess is that San Diego would be more aggressive there. I do believe that uh, that the Padres were interested in Brandon Workman before he went to the Phillies, but they found the asking price to be too high. Obviously, the Phillies were pretty, you know, had considerable desperation given that their bullpen ERA was the worst in history. Uh, so, I, I, so I think that they stepped up in a way that the Padres weren't necessarily ready to, but I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see the Padres playing in that end of the, uh, of the, of the market. So speaking of the Padres, who, you know, they're everybody's darling now, and they and the Dodgers, who look like will have a really fun time slugging it out down the stretch in the NL West, which brings us to Mookie, which brings us right back to the Padres, because as the story <laughs> goes, in 2011, right, the Padres had, uh, that I guess, that what was a 
173rd pick in the draft. They had the name Mookie Betts on a card to submit for that pick once the fifth round began, but pick number 172 belonged to Boston, which also had a card that said Mookie Betts on it. So no, the Padres were that close to getting a guy that almost won American League MVP a couple times. I, I, I love right? that version of the story. I don't know that it's quite right. Um, so I had yeah, some so, reporting so on this back when, back when the, uh, when the All-Star game was in San Diego, uh, because Mookie Betts would have been, you know, would have been the guy leading off for the Padres in, uh, in his home park in 2016. Um, but, uh, my understanding is that the Padres had already kind of, so Mookie Betts was going to seek more than just slot value. Uh, and the Padres had, uh, the Padres had, uh, had some extra picks early in the 2011 draft that they were spending big on, uh, particularly with Austin Hedges. And so they had already kind of shot their, uh, shot their draft budget, um, by the time they, they loved Mookie Betts. They were one of the three teams that was most interested in Mookie, the others being the Red Sox and the Royals. Uh, but the Padres basically felt like they weren't going to be able to, uh, have the draft budget around in order to sign Mookie Betts. So they kind of sat around and the Red Sox actually had a pretty good feel for that, which is why they were able to let Mookie Betts go into the fifth round. See, I love that you can debunk that stuff because here in San Diego, it's like we have the worst luck. You know, we were all set to grab them, but well, darn those socks. They, they came in and stole our thunder. Hey, uh, since you've mentioned Workman, i got to kind of work backwards here and talk about the, the one trade that has been made at the time of this taping of the podcast. The Phillies and the Red Sox make a deal. And for Workman, you know, it all kind of comes full circle, right, because the Phillies tried 13 years ago to draft him. He goes off to – the University of Texas instead, the Red Sox end up with him, yada, yada, yada. He wins two World Series. That's great. So now he's a Philly. And it's kind of weird and hilarious and or sad that, you know, you're trying to tell Phillies fans, oh, my God, the guy you're getting, and then you start rattling off the stats, the 123 opponent's batting average. You know, you, you can't touch this guy. And then you, you see him give up seven hits in his first 11 at bats. <laughs> you know, a lot of it on Sunday night baseball. So it's like, well, okay, so maybe not Workman. Sorry about that. And then all of a sudden, Heath Henry for president is the early returns in that trade because he comes in there and wipes out everybody in Atlanta. And, you know, you want to remind people, well, the last act for Heath Henry as a Boston Red Sox is he couldn't get anybody out. I mean, that exact same thing. On the Phillies. <laughs> right. They the chased him right no off the mound. Yeah. Harper took him deep, and he couldn't. I mean, so what? what a weird – a couple of guys to go to Philly and do what they've done almost in reverse. But when we look back on this trade a couple of years from now, even five years from now, Alex, I guess, if you want to extrapolate the way out, Nick Pavetta coming in. I mean, that, that's the, the cornerstone piece. You're hoping that this is a change of scenery guy. Uh, I guess the question here is, will Workman work? Will Hembry work in Philly? But moreover, what's Pavetta going to be for the Red Sox? Yeah, great questions all, and made more complicated, especially in the case of Workman, by the fact that this is the ultimate season of short samples, right, where, you know, uh, there, there isn't that much of a chance to overcome those first impressions because there's only so much left of the regular season. Um, I, I think that Workman is one of the, is one of the most kind of tough-minded pitchers um, that, I've, that I've ever seen, so I would think that he has a pretty good chance of finding his way back. Uh, those who have um, you know, there have been a number of times when, uh, when his Red Sox epitaph was written and where he kind of found a way to be, uh, really valuable, uh, in different ways, depending on what his stuff was. He just, 
He, he is too stubborn not to figure out a way to be able to maximize his abilities. And his pitch mix still remains that of, of a guy who can, uh, who should be able to, uh, to, to help make the Phillies bullpen better than it's been. But you never know. Transi- I mean, transitions are hard, uh, no matter who you are. And it's, you know, you, you don't know exactly what's going to happen when you ask guys to change organizations for the first time. Um, you know, I, I think that the same is true of Hembry. He can certainly be an upgrade. Um, you know, whether or not he will be over the course of this short season, uh, this short sample of the rest of the season. We'll see. Uh, Pavetta is a great question because he's been a riddle um, that a lot of uh, that has kind of puzzled a lot of people throughout baseball for quite some time. Uh, he's someone whose stuff grades out, you know, on a just like if you had if you were just to design pitches in a vacuum, right? And like look at what he has as a guy with a four seamer and curveball and slider and changeup. Like he's this is a guy whose stuff should make him a. a really good starter like you know maybe like maybe a mid-rotation starter some people think that the pure stuff is better than that but obviously he's underperformed that by a law by a a huge margin 5.5 era uh over the course of his career 19 and 30 record even though he's struck out a number of guys uh in his time in the phillies uh in his time with the phillies so it's a it's a pretty interesting gamble by the Red Sox on Pavetta to figure out whether or not they can tap into talent in a way that Philly knew exactly what they wanted. From an analytics standpoint, Philly knew the same stuff that the Red Sox are going to try to convince Pavetta to do now that he's in a new organization. And they Pavetta. weren't able to get him to do it. So it'll be awfully interesting to see whether or not the Red Sox are able to do that. But they did a nice job hedging their bets by getting a legitimate prospect in Connor Seabold, who does uh, a, a couple of evaluators I talked to see him as like a, a solid bet to be a back-end starter. And, you know, it's funny. I'm remembering Pavetta just a little bit from my time with the Mets, Alex, because, you know, we would see him a lot. How he grew in Canada idolizing Roy Halladay. Uh, and, you know, kind of wanted to be Halliday and, and at a Phillies rookie seminar, he lockered next to, to where Halliday used to always be. And, uh, you know, that they, they got friendly with each other. And this guy, you know, was really had the arrow pointed north and was going to just become the next Halliday. And then you look up and in 2017, his ERA at 6.02 and was kind of handling himself. And I, you know, I hate to tell stories out of school. I wasn't there, but the kind of guy that was swaggering around like he actually had an ERA of 2.06 and not 6.02. So, uh, you know, change of scenery guy, yes, but I, I guess I'm hoping for the Red Sox sake, this is a guy who's kind of done some deep dives and some deep thinking about how he's got to conduct his business and maybe be humbled a little bit. So I, uh, I'm hoping it all goes great. Uh, one, one more for you real quick uh, before I let you lose. I do want to talk a little bit about Rafi Devers because since we're talking uh, a little armchair psychology right now, the easy play, it seems like, is just to say, oh, he must miss Alex Cora so much. And we're hearing that over and over and over. It, you know, the two anthems here are J.D. Martinez misses his video and Rafael Devers misses Alex Cora. So I know Devers is chasing a lot more. I know the numbers are down. His OPS is like 640. I mean, that's just not – you know, that's what I would have expected out of Arauz and said that's Devers, right? So how much validity is there to he misses the security blanket? You know, it's Linus without the blanket here with Cora being gone. Or is it just not a great year yet for Devers, plain and simple, the same guy that didn't homer until his 25th game a year ago? 
I don't. I, I wouldn't say that this mirrors what happened in 2019 because in 2019 he was actually super disciplined in the first month of the season, even though he had, he wasn't hitting for any power. Um, he was doing a really good job of pitch recognition. He was just hitting everything on the ground. Then he started hitting things in the air, and they went really far. I think that in the last in the last few days, you've seen Devers start to really hit quite well. Um, and to me, I think that there are a number of guys throughout baseball who have seemed to me like they've been a couple weeks behind in terms of their timing at the plate. Like they've just been late on pitches that they normally catch out in front. Alex Verdugo, Verdugo talked about this a little bit, where he was hitting everything into the ground for the first his first eight games of the season, and all of a sudden, you know, he he found his timing. He had, he was super rusty and regained his timing, and all of a sudden was catching stuff out in front and driving it in the air again. He said he didn't change his swing. He just got his timing back. And I think that the same was kind of true of Devers, where there were, there was been, there's been a, a bit of a progression, and now you're seeing his hands work some of the magic that they normally do, where there's a pitch down and away, and he's able to still kind of scoop it up and flick it off of the wall in left center. Um, so I think that Devers, in all likelihood, is fine. I think it's a little bit premature to say that, you know, Alex Cora's absence is what has him, uh, is what has led to his uh, slow starts of the season. Uh, you know, I, there's there were other voices around Devers uh, who have a long history with him and can get a lot out of him. For instance, Carlos Febles, who is his minor league manager and who he's very close to, is around and someone who can get on uh, who can get on Devers. Um, and uh, and I I just think for me it was the layoff and regaining the timing and I think you're starting to see that come around a little bit so I would say withhold judgment there about whether or not this is chicken and egg with the uh, with Cora endeavors. All right, the last one for the at least as of now still married Alex Spear since he found his <laughs> wedding ring. <laughs> the, uh, the the thought that there are going to be a couple more trades, even one more trade. At some point, I would think that means, uh, and especially Alex, since his team is, is heading towards a, a 300 winning percentage for the year, we're going to see some kids. We're, we're going to see guys come up in a shortened season and, and try to at least get their feet wet. And in just a moment, I'm going to introduce some uh, spring training interviews I did with C.J. Chatham and Jaron Duran because I want the fans to get a sense of who some of these kids are. So I'm warning you in advance. When I sign off with you, I'll be saying, here we go. Here's the interview coming up next. So who do you think is coming up at some point, and who are you most excited to see? I don't think Duran is going to be coming up this year um, for the simple reason that um, he is uh, he was drafted in 2018, which means that uh, which means that he doesn't have to be added to the 40-man roster for purposes of protecting him for the Rule Five from the Rule Five draft until after 2021. Um, and the Red Sox value those 40-man spots a lot. So I think that uh, I also think that he's been amazing down in Pawtucket, uh, probably the most exciting single player down there. Um, but I, I think that you know it's it's a kind of that. They, they don't know exactly what they can take out of Pawtucket as a development environment. He was someone who was going to open this year probably in AA, and the fact that he's hitting well right now and in that setting doesn't, you know, doesn't negate that. So do you really want to bump up a guy to the major leagues and start his, you know, his big league service clock and take up a 40-man slot when he probably has more development time in front of him opening next year in AAA? Um, I, I think that it makes sense – to add the guys who have already been added to the 40-man roster and get, give them their first exposure to the big leagues. So I would I would think that there's a pretty good likelihood that we'll be seeing the likes of Bobby Dahlbeck, 
Uh, and C.J. Chatham is another one who, uh, who certainly makes sense. Uh, at some point, Tanner Houck uh, will have to be added to the 40-man roster after this season, so he's another one who would make sense as an addition. But, you know, the, the reality is that uh, the Red Sox also want to see what they can get from guys who they're bringing into their organization for the first time. So as much as the homegrown guys have, have a certain familiarity and there's an expectation of seeing them before too long, um, it might be, you know, it might be guys who are from out of, outside of the organization. You're seeing the, the Robert Stocks and the Dylan Coveys of the world uh, making their way up and down in order to get some, some opportunities. Nick Pavetta uh, is certainly someone who we'll be seeing with, in the Red Sox rotation at some point moving forward. So um, it, it's, it's a little bit difficult to, to say exactly which direction they're going to go in. I mean, I think that their most important audition is probably uh, with pitchers at this point. Um, so I, I would say that you know Hauk is is the most familiar name that we're likely uh, that we're likely to see before too long. But yeah, again, I think that Dahlbeck and uh, Dahlbeck and Chatham, given that they're already on the 40-man roster, it makes sense to give them their first exposure to the big leagues at some point this year. All right, you know what? You changed my mind. I'm going to do the segue to, to Chatham and Hauk. Uh, that, that those are the interviews we'll we'll run instead. You absolutely changed my mind on that. So. We are on the fly reprogramming the podcast, courtesy of Seth Masterson himself, Alex Spears. <laughs> hey, buddy, as always, great information. I'm so glad that you and, and your boys and, and everybody there at the Spear household are surviving, if not thriving. Uh, keep up your wonderful work for the globe and everything else that you're doing. So great to catch up with you. I really appreciate you, my friend. It's terrific to hear from you too, Josh, and best to you and your wife. And uh, you know, hope that you guys find uh, you know find uh, find pleasure in uh, in catching the base in in watching all of the broadcasts of uh, a pretty amazing baseball out there while keeping another eye on uh, less inspired baseball out here. <laughs> well said. Appreciate you, buddy. And, and without further ado, here is the now reworked double interview. We're going to do Chatham and Hauk. Um, first piece of business is how often is your last name butchered? Um, pretty much every time for people that don't <laughs> that don't know me. I so get, for, for the record, let, let's hear it. It's Hawk. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I get Hook, Hawk. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I've gotten a few other random ones here and there. Uh, but yeah, it, it most of the time I would say it's uh, pronounced wrong. Okay, so not for nothing, this is just me, and I hardly know you, but Hawk sounds cool. Did you ever wish it was Hawk instead of Hawk? Uh, I never really thought of it that like way. Tony like Tony Hawk, you know, or yeah, A.J. Hawk. Yeah, yeah, or... I mean, like, definitely, like, people, like, whenever I was younger, they were like, oh, Tony, like, Tanner Hawk. I was like, no, <laughs> it's Hawk. But, yeah, I never really thought of it. What, what's the derivation of it? What's the, the lineage? What, what's your uh, history? Um, I'm not sure. My dad was adopted. Oh, okay. Um, so I don't know that side of the family. Uh, my mom's last name or, uh, was Balin, uh before Hal. So uh, I'm not really sure the uh, the family tree of that as well. But uh, yeah, you, you haven't done like 23 and Me yet or anything. No, no. I've thought about doing it in the past. I just never got around to doing it. Uh, thought it'd be cool, definitely. But it's it's one of those things. Maybe in the future I'll definitely do it and. Uh, and see what I am. <laughs> what you are right now, obviously, is a hotshot pitching prospect. And I guess the question is, at what age did you realize that was your thing? And, and, and what did you leave behind to go full throttle on this? Oh, I mean, I, my earliest memories are from baseball. My mom's favorite story to tell is we were playing t-ball 
uh, in the in the town next to mine, and I came running <laughs> off the field uh, crying. And it was because all the other kids were playing in the dirt, eating the grass, like, just all this stuff. And I just came in bawling, like, Mom, they don't care as much as me. Like, why don't they just want to play? Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, all they want to do is eat dirt. And I'm just like, I was sitting there bawling. And so, like, that's probably my mom's favorite story to tell. I hope you weren't, like, 15 when this happened. No, 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 no. It was, uh, it was in T-ball. Okay. Um, so it, it, she kind of created the monster from, from an early age, the moment she signed me up for baseball. So that's awesome that you had that single-minded focus right away. What what were I mean? Were there other just passing interests like in school or whatever? What what else kind of flicked your buttons? Yeah, uh, I grew up playing basketball as well. Uh, I played until I was a junior in high school. Uh, then I transitioned. Actually, my senior year, I said, "All right, I'm going to be done with basketball. I'm going to focus on baseball." But luckily, in the state of Illinois, golf is in the fall and baseball is in the spring. So I got to play for uh, my high school golf team as well, Sweet. which is another uh, fun pastime, fun pastime of mine that I like to play uh, here and there. Tell me about growing up in Illinois. Would you trade it for something else now that you've seen the world, or is that always going to be home? Uh, I mean, that'll definitely always be home. Uh, in the Midwest, uh, if you've never been there, it's uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll I be went to school in Chicago, so I got Oh, you, get, yeah, you yeah. get it. You get the days where it's 70, and then the next day it's snowing, and right, you got right. three inches on the ground, and you're just like, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I mean, I think that's kind of prepared me well for, for all my experiences I've had so far. Let me ask you, too, because the, the fans are going to see it when you're on the mound. Uh, you, you're inked, but not, like, sleeved. Uh, tell, tell me about the tattoos and what they mean, because the, the one of them uh, that basically says love of the game. I mean, you yeah. do love the game, and you've explained that already. Uh, when did you decide to get that? Did it hurt? And, and what else do you have? Uh, yeah, so I got my whole left arm done uh, with plans on doing the right one in the oh, future. You do? Okay. Yeah. Uh, my goal is actually to be completely covered uh, by the age of 30. Wow. Uh, you that guy. All right. No neck, no face. Uh, that's the one rule. It's it's one of those things where if I put on a suit, uh, then you'll have no idea that I ever had tattoos. Um, but, yeah, I got for love of the game on my right arm. Uh, was that the first one or, or no? No, no, no. The first one I actually got uh, was I came, I saw, I conquered in Latin, uh, Vini Vidi Vici. Um and then after that, it was just kind of like, I was always the guy like, oh, I, I want one or two. And then like, after two, it was like, oh, I'll get one more. Oh, I'll get one more. And the next thing you know, it's, it's like Pringles, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a slippery slope. You did the whole left arm. I got my spine completely done. Wow. I got my left shoulder, my left pec, my ribs, um, with many more to come in the future. All right. So is there one you've got your eye on more than the other? Like, okay, next one up, this is going to be absolutely lit. Uh, I have plans to do my whole left or whole right leg, uh, next off season. Okay. Um, you're how old now, by the way? Twenty three. So you have seven years to work on this. Seven, ye- seven years to work on my uh, my my whole body project, I guess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this this past season I actually uh, finished up my spine. Okay. Um, but yeah, ne- next off season I plan on doing the whole like kind of right calf, uh, maybe up on the uh, thigh region. So I do have to ask you one small baseball piece here. Okay. Do, do, are you a, a goal setter? Do you, do you put yourself like, okay, I'm 23 now. By the time I'm 24, this. By the time I'm 25, that. Or do you just roll with it? Uh, I'm the biggest just roll out of bed and just see, what, see where the day takes me. 
Um, I am the least for like the least likely person to plan something out. Really? Uh, I'm more of just all right. Let's see what today has the offer, and just go with it. Uh, so it's a rare for, trade. I mean, because a lot of these guys will push themselves to the point where they're dying if it doesn't happen when they said right. So yeah, and you know that's one thing I've learned is a lot of this game you can't control. Um, there's very few things that I can control. I can control what pitch I throw. I can, tr- I can control trying to execute it to the best of my ability, but after the ball kind of leaves my hand, I can't control anything else. And that's kind of the way I've taken it with, with my life. I, I realize that I got choices to make, and I'll make those choices, uh, and then just see what kind of opens up after that. Uh, and go from there. It's very, uh, very wise beyond your years. That's cool. Hey, continued success. Thank you, buddy. Thank you very much. Um, so first thing, uh, people are obviously going to get to know you as CJ. Uh, Connor John, do I remember that right? Is that James. James. Connor James. Yeah. So that was that, that close. Was it yeah. always CJ or was it ever Connor? Uh, it, was, it was always CJ, and they kind of came up with Connor James afterwards just because they wanted to make make CJ. So right on. That was, it was CJ first. So you, you really had no choice in the matter then? Yeah, I, I didn't have a choice. Really. <laughs> tell, tell me about your folks, if you don't mind, and, and just your upbringing and, and uh, what it was like growing up where you grew up. Uh, yeah, born and raised in Fort Lauderdale. Um, they met in Fort Lauderdale at a bar, I think, in the 80s. Yeah, they met cute. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, uh, and then just, you know, uh, got me into baseball early, around four, and ever since then, just kind of, you know, I... They, my mom, my dad's been an insurance insurance agent for a while. My mom uh, manages a cookie store. Oh no kidding! Wow. Yeah, just to have she wanted to have something to do. So, yeah. But that I mean, you you could easily put on a good fifty pounds though if you, if she brought that home. Is that a concern? I wish, I wish I could. <laughs> what, what what kind of cookies if, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, just like the ones you put designs on. You, know, okay. you can customize them and stuff. So does she do like weddings and stuff like that, or big events? Or- yeah, like mainly big events. Like she's worked with the Dolphins, um, a couple different you know organizations. But yeah, weddings, whatever. Really, Valentine's Day is huge. Yeah, uh, sure. Christmas. You know. So you so you brought up the Dolphins. I I didn't. I just want to put that out there. Uh, you, you're a fan, I I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Um, my dad's had season tickets since like '70. Wow. Wow. So yeah, he's he perfect season he was there you know all that stuff who was your guy growing up you probably didn't see the the heyday of marino because you're too young but who were your guys uh i was i mean not there hasn't been a lot of success not a lot of guys i know not a lot of success no <laughs> so i guess i guess just like Tannehill, pennington you know, not you know just yeah. pennington was the last time i think they went to the playoffs so did you pick up uh, university of miami fandom too or who do you have a college team uh, Gators. Oh, Gators. Yeah, my, dad, my dad was a Gator. My sister and brother, Gators. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Tebow guy? Yeah. Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, after, once I went to FAU, though, I kind of became like an FAU fan. Right. But, uh, right. But, yeah, I was a Tebow guy for sure. Let me ask you about that FAU experience, because for those who don't know, Florida Atlantic, um, you know, very quietly, very good baseball program, obviously, but they're building some stuff in, in basketball and football now, too. Uh, did you consider other places, and was FAU uh, being an owl? Was was that a good fit at the end? Oh yeah, no. I um, honestly, I wasn't very good out of high school, so where uh, as a pitcher, I was more of a prospect as a pitcher out of mm-hmm. high school. But um, yeah, I chose FAU, and it worked out. I was, it was amazing, but uh, I didn't really have a lot of offers 
honestly, as a position player at the time. When you made that transition from pitcher, did you do that on your own accord, or was it kind of against your will, like, man, I really wanted to pitch? Uh, no, it was it was more of like I wanted to hit, you know, and I was like I'd rather hit than take a, a little bit of money in the draft or whatever because it wouldn't have been a lot. I was just a closer. Sure, okay. And uh, I, I was like I wanted to hit and prove it, so. What, uh, what are the off-field interests that you've discovered that you have? I know you're baseball, baseball, baseball all the way, and, and I think Red Sox fans appreciate that. They know that you're a, a grinder, and that's cool, but you've got to have some, some downtime. So what's your downtime? Um, I would say uh, FIFA right now, uh, Fortnite. We used to play that. Nice. Video games, um, movies, big movie guy, a couple shows, you know, just to – just uh, stuff like that, uh, beach sometimes. So, are you uh, Netflix or Hulu or, or both? Ne- Netflix, Disney Plus. So yeah, it's, it's tough to walk away from that stuff now. Sorry. It is. <laughs> you can't like Marvel and stuff like that. Yeah, unbelievable. So real quick, what are your, your go to uh, when you say shows? If you if you were binging something, what what got you to the point where okay, I can't stop watching this? Um, Banshee was the one on Amazon Prime. That's a really good one. I hear that. Yeah. And then uh, Game of Thrones. Okay, yeah. so let's real quick just hit on Game of Thrones oh, for a second. Man. Did it? Did it was it, terrible. The ending was terrible. Well, I okay, because I, I I'm glad you said it. And I didn't. <laughs> but so did it? Did it kill you? Like, come on! I invested all this time, and it then, did. It did. I'm from what I did. I did hear is that they the the creators were trying to they they got a huge contract before they made the last season right, with, okay. for Star Wars, which is going to come out again. And so they kind of were just like, it's just they were already paid for Game of Thrones. You know how it is. So. Yeah kind of meld it in at the, at yeah the end. Exactly. so not that, i don't know if, if you put this on your bucket list but i'm going to strongly suggest to you my, my wife dragged me to uh, dubrovnik last summer i had, had no idea what it was or where it was turns out that's where they film really? game of thrones or, or a lot of it so we we end up going to this little island and I'm, I'm i'm like why are we here what are we doing and sure enough there's the freaking throne i mean the actual throne really? so i'll show you a picture yeah, uh, that's I'm in sick. it. My wife's in it. It's like what? So uh, when you have some downtime, uh, it's way. I mean, it's it's quite a flight, and it's you know. But I don't know if Croatia is really in your crosshairs to go to. But damn. Uh, yeah, it's real. I mean, I couldn't believe it. That's the actual throne. Um, last one for you. That's great. When uh, when you were playing, uh, and you did play Cape League, right? Do I remember yeah. that right? Mm-hmm. Um, what was that experience like? Because I know that was a nice introduction to the New England experience and obviously you've got the correct last name to even be on the cape in the the first place so what, what was that all like oh no it was it was sweet um especially going from the Northwoods, uh which is a tough it's a fewer mosquitoes in the cape league. league i would think um yeah 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 definitely <laughs> um it was it was sweet uh you know you get your two days off you, know, you get to have fun um it's not really all. It's not really a money-making league, where that's all they care about. You know, it's kind of just like good baseball, and, right. and I still have a really good relationship with my host family and stuff. So it was, awesome. it was a really good experience. Good. Well, hey, continued success to you. Thank you for your time, man. Right. Thank you. That was C.J. Chatham, and I hope you enjoyed the chat with Tanner Houck as well. Maybe we'll see him up before too long. And, you know, the, the Sox have used an opener seven times. They've lost six of those seven games at this recording. Zach Godley, Ryan Weber, Kyle Hart have started 10 games. The Sox have lost eight of those. And let's face it, the pitching that Chaim Bloom has provided for Ron Renneke, it's made it difficult for any manager to find matchup advantages. There's just not enough starting pitchers, and innings are hard to come by. Bloom has been reluctant to bring up Halk or Brian Mata or Jay Groom. Now, some of the, the guys that are actually 
brought along to hit and not pitch, some of the guys that the GM has brought in, they've done okay. I mean, Kevin Pillar has looked fine. Mitch Moreland has looked fine. Peraza, Plowecki, they've made a decent impact. The bottom line is this was going to be a lost season anyway. We, we just didn't know how lost it was going to be. But at least we've kept you company, right, for a little while longer. We'll come back with another podcast next week for you, which will be episode 270 along the line. Many thanks to our sponsors. Many thanks to our guests, especially Alex Spear, who was kind enough to take such a long time with us. This is Josh Lewin urging you to keep the faith, keep the distance for now, six feet at all times, and please wear your mask. And this is Red Sox Beat from CLNS.